Log Talk Radio. Yes, yes, today, yes, yes, today, you know, as we start this show, this one might be. There is a pause. Throughout the stadium, as this man sounded like he just coughed up a lung. Just looking around, the jumbotron shows and pans the cheerleaders, and as it goes down each cheerleader's face, each one breaks up into laughter, which at this particular time destroys half the stadium. The other half is still trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Does this guy need? Uh, CPR or something And then at that particular time I lost it <laughs> Devon Brooks Yes, yes, yes Today Phoenix is another place They got a great uh, training staff I mean they, they were able to breathe life back into track And if you can do that then People talk a lot about their <laughs> training staff Love, love Yes, today you know, as we start this show, this one mic. Yes, yes, today, as we start this show, this one mic. Welcome to One Mic with your guy D. Wilson Hank. Uh, this is a, we're excited. We got a great show for you. You know, we got to talk about that hardball stuff. We got to talk about that beef out west. What's the beef? We're going to get into that. Uh, you know, it's getting hot about this college. Uh, Final Four, the Bowl Championship Series. You know, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, in that space, NFL is heating up. We got a lot of stuff. Before I do that, though, I need to, to pay homage uh, to our, our sponsor for tonight's uh, uh, podcast. It's Carbon World Health. Carbon World Health will, uh, 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 is, our, uh, is our signature sponsor here through uh, the end of uh, December. And so I, I do want to share that for those who had a chance to see us in RC Live, uh, know how much uh, uh, Dr. Rodriguez and folks over there have uh, been supportive of our show. So uh, the all callers and the hosts will be brought to you on the Carbon World Health um, Complete Solution uh, Hotline. Carbon World Health, your complete solution for fitness, health, and beauty. Go to carbonworldhealth.com to connect with Dr. Nestor Rodriguez and his staff to learn more about lifestyle medicine. Tell them that the Real Sports Guy sent you. And uh, we got a lot of love out there. Make sure you did. If, you're in, if you're in Madison, Wisconsin, stop by the headquarters. It's all good. It was all good just a week ago, just a couple weeks ago, but it got crazy. I mean, there's so much in sports news, but before I get to that, i got to bring my guy Hank in. How you doing, Hank? I'm doing good. I'd like to take this opportunity to uh, wish you all a post-happy Thanksgiving. I hope, Dee, you and your family had a, a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. I kind of saw you on social media with your mom. It looked like you all had a good time. Man. Uh, it looked like uh, you know y'all 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 ate well. That looked like that that just looked real warming to me. It looked like you guys really had it going on. Man, it was the first time my mother had been uh, to this the place where we live now. Man, it was just uh, it was hard to put her you know send her back to to Michigan. Uh, but it was good. Uh, my mom, as you know, is a avid sports fan, so uh, she really didn't pick up sports until we started playing. And so I think my wife was kind of blown away because she's not a big sports fan. 
but my mom, she watched games with me on Thanksgiving. She watched the Michigan game, which we'll talk about. And she was yelling more than I was. Uh, she uh, And we just had a really good time, and it was good to connect her with some people I know. So, yeah, man, I, I give thanks. And, you know, uh, not having my father here, knowing that, uh, you know, she's here with us and to spend that quality time, it, you know, it really matters. You know how that how that feels, man. So to really start to, to really connect with your family. So I appreciate that, man. And, and my doctor was mad because I gained more weight, so I got to get on it. You know, he looked at me like, we got, we supposed to go in the other direction. Hey, <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But you know what? It, it was one of those kind of holidays. Uh, my family and I, we also ate to embarrassment. You know, but sometimes it's good to have that every now and then. So, you know, it, it, it took me a little bit, especially uh, when I got to Saturday. We're going to talk about that. But uh, I, I, yeah. I, still, uh, I, I have still myself personally hired a private investigator to go down to Columbus. And I'm not talking about the tragic uh, incident that happened down there the day after the game. I'm talking about what happened on Saturday. But we'll get into that. We'll get into that. And I, want, I do want to send out, I got some, like as I said, if people know uh, who follow me on Facebook and stuff, uh, I, I got some really good colleagues uh, down there at OSU. Uh, shout out to the uh, to the folks down there at the Todd Bell Center. Um, yeah, the work that they do down there is incredible. And uh, my guy Todd Suddick over there, uh, uh, Multicultural Center over there, uh, uh, there at OSU. And then also my, my guy, former Badger Prince Moody. But, I, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to the community. You know, one of the things we always say, we battle on Saturday, but, you know, like I said, on Sunday we get back to, to trying to save lives and save the world. We, like, we have a very strong network of uh, community members, but when it comes to our football, we are going to debate and yell and argue and, and, and say that you cheated. So we can do both <laughs> those things and love each other as well. So um, that's one of the things I did say was so great about that rivalry, which is a little different, is that it's competitive, but, you know, we ain't going to be out there poisoning your trees. Um, so we can we can talk a little bit more about that, um, and that rivalry is a lot coming up. We got plenty there, um, but before we get to college football, you know, uh, 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 there's been a couple of rap songs about what's beef. <laughs> I think Snoop did one. Uh, I think Most Def did one, and now we see Eric and Dick, Eric Dickerson and Jeff Fisher doing something. Uh, and I was like, I woke up, and I'm like, what's this all about? So for those of you who have not been following, Eric Dixon, obviously, is Hall of Famer. He got the jacket. He let everybody know he had the jacket. Um, but, you know, on his show, he's been very critical of the Rams, which, you know, as an ex-athlete, when you're on a show, you ask, you, you're supposed to analyze and. And Eric Dickerson has never been shy about sharing his opinion, even when he was a player. Um, Eric had – now, you know, great players have egos, but Eric had an ego. People who watched him play, he, had, he was not lacking confidence, and he still isn't. Uh, but he's beloved. He's beloved by anybody who's ever been a Rams fan. So he's critical. Now, as a Hall of Famer, you can get into any game you want in the NFL. I think you get up to about four tickets. And all you got to do is request that through the Hall of Fame. So you get those tickets. But he wanted some additional tickets for other friends. And the word came back he couldn't have them because uh, uh, Fisher, and part of the criticism from Fisher was they didn't feel like they, was, they should do him that favor 
because he had been so critical uh, of the team. Now, as they pushed through it a little bit, they said that they both had exchanged over the phone, but Fisher said that he had been speaking on behalf of the players who didn't like the fact that he was being criticized. Now, we're hearing some conflicting stories about the players backtracking and players what didn't really say that. So Fisher looks kind of, you know, sad. And then and Eric Dickerson basically like, he's not coming back until Fisher's gone. So you got a Hall of Famer. You got your first year out there in L.A. Uh, you really want to, to be endearing to the fans. Fans are going to give you a break about your season because they know that you're transitioning out. You know, they've been on Fisher about playing golf because all these other young quarterbacks have been playing and their quarterback has been playing. Uh, so Fisher's coming under some heat. What say you, Hank Davis? What well, you? listen, I think that it's about time that Fisher come under some heat if you really want to know the truth. He has had a very yeah. long tenure there with St. Louis as well as now with the Rams, and he hasn't amounted to nothing. How many coaches – uh, D, can you think of that's been with their teams as long as Jeff Fisher now has been with the Rams organization and not made the playoffs? You know, I mean, it's 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 a little bit almost like it's almost like the Detroit Lions do stuff. We're just going to just hang on to you because we're happy with you because either you kiss butt or you do something. But quite frankly, in the time that he's been there since he's parlayed that success from Tennessee to what time he's got to. The, the Rams organization, they've really not been nothing but a run-of-the-mill football team, okay? And they they brought him over there to bring him back to that glory. And you can put some of that on the front office, if you will. But moreover, he has had the team. Now, uh, to, to, to to defend Eric Dickerson a little, a little bit, he makes a point of that. He's like, you know, that this team is a run-of-the-mill team at 4-7, and seven, you know, you've got some coaches over there that he questions their qualification. Chris Winkie, who's the quarterback coach over there and, and, and supposed to be trying to groom these and develop these quarterbacks. You remember Sam Bradford was there. Then you're talking about golf. And they just, you know, either there's something wrong. The offensive line has not uh, – they have not been able to develop an offensive line all this time. You know, uh, they've been a, a, a putrid team, so they've had high draft picks. Uh, but they haven't gotten it done. And under all of this all this being said, it's been under uh Jeff Fisher. So, um to to that that's to defend Eric Dickerson now. And Fisher got a little bit pissed off about that and, and rightfully so. And but he tells a Hall of Famer and Eric Dickerson to tone it down or I don't want you around my team like that. And so all of a sudden the media gets a hold of that and then what's then then all of a sudden everybody wants to backtrack. But like we was talking a little bit before the show started, you know that Eric Dickerson loves him from Eric Dickerson, all right? And he was a prima donna when he was with the Rams and then he was, even when he was with the Colts. So, um, you know, he, he's going to say, I'm Eric Dickerson. I'm going to be Eric Dickerson whether you're here or not. So I can wait you out. And I think they're, I think it's calculated, in my opinion. I think that the best way for him to get rid of Jeff Fisher, if he's not happy with the direction, is to have Jeff Fisher actually um, – and to have Jeff Fisher uh, put, him, put him on the spot right there, make him uncomfortable, that makes all kind of sense, okay? Be uncomfortable. <laughs> Be very uncomfortable because uh, I don't want you here in the first place. You know, he's out in L.A., he's la-la land. He feels like he's the first one they should have reached out to. You know, that, that's, that's my opinion on this. That's the way I feel about it. I feel like, uh, you know, absolutely, this, this, is what, this is what's going on. 
I also will tell you, too, that uh, when I look at the Rams organization, you know, when is this team going to get it right? You know, when are they going to get it right? I mean, that's that's a concern. I mean, they they got to get it. They got to get it right. And and right now, they they ain't got it right. And you know, all they are is the the only thing with anybody's talking about with the Rams is the fact that they are now in Los Angeles. And our, the irony behind that is that <laughs> they're in Los Angeles where they started. There's nothing new. And so, what was the reason for them to leave in the first place, right? Um, because people just weren't there's, there's a whole lot to do out in La La Land, and you're going to bring a team out there. Your hope is, and your prayer is, is that they figure it out and they're able to uh, turn into something. Because just being a, a media market out there, just being a market out there, ain't nothing. Because it seems like the other California teams out there is trying to bail. Yeah, and and I, one thing I love about you know kind of what you said in terms of, um, I mean, there all the things that Dickerson said were football critiques that everyone else was saying, and I, that's not unfamiliar. That's that's like um, Tommy Waddle being critical of the Bears. He played for the Bears, but he's on a show that forces him to really analyze that. And it's not like they're not going to welcome him to the sidelines. It, it, to me, it was much to do about nothing. When you got a team that's struggling, you're trying to figure out how to keep it going in the right direction. Like, why does this need to be the issue? You know, I, I had a fortunate chance of being down near the sidelines. You got so many people on the sidelines. Like, why does that even matter? You know, most people, most you know, most of the players are not paying attention to who's on the sidelines, and so it's like. To me, it seemed like a battle you don't need to fight, especially when you just move in there and you need to the, – the franchise needs to be going out of its way to engage its alumni. And so if someone like Dickinson wants 10 extra tickets, you need to figure out how to make that happen because it's all, in these first few years, all about public relations. Right. You know, it, you go, it's going to be it's going to be an issue for you to get your it's going to be time for you to get your product up, and you know if Dickerson says, "Man, I know I've been critical, but I, I can say about this organization, you know, I've been critical." They've always been good to me with customer service. They know that's my job. They know publicly I need to do that. But what I've appreciated about Coach Fisher and the folks is that when I need something, uh, they accommodate me. So you know, if I'm you know. That that's part of what I, I I want to be able to say about them, and that goes a long way for you, mm-hmm. especially when you're trying to establish yourself in a market where people's interests change on a whim in LA. They got so much around them that exactly. you know there's a reason why they could get away with not having football for so long. There's so much other stuff to do. Right, right, and I think that when you look at that, when you and also when you're looking at that again, I think that. What you also hear from Jeff Fisher is is frustration, okay? That he is frustrated, and, and and you just think about the fact that now you're in Los Angeles, you are no closer to being a playoff contender, Super Bowl contender, anything else like that. I think that he, you know, he's not going to bite the hand that feeds him, but I think that the only thing that was important was this move, and not the product on the field, and so he is trying to do all he can to, you know, uh, do what he can to improve the product on the field. I don't think he's gotten much help from the front office. 
and now you're getting criticized, all right? And I think that, again, that you get a little bit butt hurt about that. I think he's kind of tired of the public relations things. And um, it probably came off wrong. It probably came off raggedy, uh, especially when they are trying to be uh, 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 have a PR plus and then to have their biggest name say certain things about the team and then later come up and say it's the same old Rams. If you if you listen to the rest of his comments, it's the same organization that he wanted to leave so many years ago, which he did leave to go to Indianapolis. So, you know, he's, he, he's pretty much painted them back into that same box, which is not real good, and now it has turned into almost something that's irreparable, that something's going to have to change. But part of that is Pulitzer's side sit down to him, and then we don't know, but it don't sound like they had the right people sit down and say, look, Eric, I understand you got to say some things, but we also need you helping us allow this time to get to where we need to be. But Jeff Fisher, who's been rewarded more for being 79 than Jeff Fisher? Right. I mean, if, if you sit back and look at Marvin Lewis, like people know Marvin Lewis, but Marvin Lewis's biggest issue is not winning a playoff game, but he's always had playoff contenders. Exactly. People say, well, what's, what's diversity in coaching? Diversity in coaching is when you can find me a black coach who can be Jeff Fisher. You can find me a more coach who can be Jeff Fisher, can be 79, and not just be Jeff Fisher, but people still talk about him like he a top five coach. Right. Like, if you want to tell me diversity, if you can find me a black coach who can be 79 and still, hey, you got Tomlin, and they didn't even talk about Tomlin like he's a top three coach, given all the good stuff he's done in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And so when people ask me about, like, what, why you – because when you can be Jeff Fisher at 79 and not only lose, but people still talk about, like, you won a Super Bowl two years ago. Like, to me, he is he is the example of privilege, and yet he's going to get mad because Dickerson is is highlighting that. As, 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 as Parcel said, you are who your record says you are. Exactly. Hey, Jeff, for the past how many years, you eight, eight, you seven, nine. Yeah. Like, how many winning records has he had with the Rams organization? I I don't think, if we go back and look, I don't think he had many. No. You know, we can pull it up, but I, I don't think he's had many. I think it's all been uh, about 500. It's all been he, 500. Or lower. Oh, or lower. And so... You know, when you when you look at that, you look at them over the seasons. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm looking up this right now. We look at uh, them over the season. Um, what they've been. Uh, I'm going pulling up right now. Because mm-hmm. this is this is so fish came in. So I mean, you look at it right now. It was seven nine last year. Year before six and ten. Year before that, 79, 78, they were 2 and 14. I think he must have come in. He come in, that was 2011. So they've been, the Rams have not won more than seven games. More than seven games in about about seven years. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. See, so, so, you know, I think, so when you think about that, uh, uh, Eric Dickerson is making a valid point. All right, he's yeah. making a valid point about this coach. 
about about this team, about the, the decisions that he's making, and about the coaches he chooses to to surround himself with. You know, it don't look good. And so, you know, you, you can get upset all you want to, but yeah, he's been with the Rams, like you said, since 2012. All right, and again, seven and eight, seven and nine, six and ten, seven and nine, four and seven. What keeps him employed? What keeps him employed? Now, if you want to go back to the year they went to the Super Bowl, okay, after the after the Super Bowl years, um, uh, his last two years in Tennessee, eight and eight, six and ten. So the man hasn't had a winning record in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seasons. How is he still employed? You know, how is he still employed? So the fact that he's criticizing him, and when you think about that, you look at Jeff Fisher, like you got a lot of love opening your mouth and saying anything. You have shown yourself I'll, to I'll be. I'll leave this part. Uh-huh. If Dickerson wanted 20 tickets, if Dickerson wanted 20 tickets, I'd give him 20. Right. <laughs> right. Now let me go eleven. Let me go twelve and five. Let me go twelve and four next year. Let me make the playoffs next year. Then I'm revoking the tickets. But right now, Dickerson gets yeah. tickets he wants it. Let yeah. me get to the playoffs. You know, then them tickets are gone. You, you He's got know, an that's old, how you play. Got an overall record with St. Louis and Los Angeles of thirty-one, forty-three, and one. He's got a four-twenty winning percentage, and he's. Uh, telling Hall of Famers, I don't want you around the team. <laughs> I don't blame. When you think about it that way, if I'm Eric Dickerson, don't worry. I won't, it won't take me long. I'll be back next year because you can't stick around with that. You know, you can't stick around with that. Not in L.A. No, no it, it, it's not, gonna be, not in L.A. And that's the part that you got me going is I'm thinking, man, what are you talking about, man? What are you talking about? So we – we we gonna monitor we gonna monitor this a little bit uh, to to kind of see you know where this is going and uh, uh, what's happening with it. But you know it's an interesting showdown, and uh, you think you're right. You know Dickerson knows he'll be back in the building soon enough. You know because that, that PI to that owner means more than Fisher. If he gotta get rid of Fisher to do it, he's just so concerned about the real estate dollars and money he gonna make off the, the complex. Uh, the development in that area, I mean, that, that, he's thinking that money. So he don't want to get anything in the middle of that. And I think, you know, Fisher had everything rolling because that owner didn't care enough to push him out unless you piss off somebody that can cause problems for all the rest of his deal. Right. And Eric Dickerson got that kind of pull. So I think that's where Fisher made he, he miscalculated. And we'll see. We'll see how this all plays out. So as we move into the cipher. We want to talk a little bit about the coaching carousel. One of the interesting things about this time of year in college football is, you know, and this is part, you know, if you listen to the RFD platform, whether it's the big show or it's Hank and I talking about, you know, one mic or a space, you know, this is where we start to get into all of the other elements around this. You know, when, when people are being very critical of student-athletes having rights, when Folks are blowing back at folks, uh, uh, some of these athletes who are, who are speaking up, and, you know, people like Nigel Hayes and folks like that who are speaking up. And, you know, they're always trying to find ways to nitpick uh, these athletes and talk about why they shouldn't be complaining. It's, we are reminded why they can do that when this stuff happens. 
And so right. when you think about the situation of Herman going to, uh, to, to Texas and spending all that time, all that week, talking about he wasn't going anywhere, he wasn't doing this, probably telling his players all this stuff, but as soon as it's over, in the middle of the night, he's on his way to Texas. And the crazy thing about it is um, that five-star defensive tackle down there whose coach, high school coach who got that job with Houston, right? I think his name is Oliver or something like that. That job with Houston. Probably as part of him coming to Houston. And the story is that Herman has been, was, was talking a lot about, uh, you know, really building a strong brand in, in Houston. Um, I actually heard Damani Jones talking about this uh, uh, earlier today, which is, you know, talking about using the UM brand like the, the, kind of the U brand. Because everybody knows, I mean, Houston has a lot of talent. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, Dade County. You know, if you can, if you can, if you can draw a line around Houston and nearby areas, you know, there's a lot of talent there. And so kids bought into that. But not only did he leave for Texas, then he took his his, his high school coach from Texas. So both his high school coach got off, and then he stuck there for two more years. Well, look, and, and, okay. and I'm saying. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm saying, how is that wrong? Here, here's the thing, though. I think that, see, here, here's Jim Herman. And uh, for him, th- th- the whole thing with this situation is like, it, it, he was kind of put in a, in a precarious situation, and here's why. There was a, um, a, 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 a big deal before the season got started that the uh, Big 12 was going to expand, all right? And they were going to bring more teams in. And one of those teams that they were tabbed to bring in, we talked about it a little bit on this show, was University of Houston, uh, maybe one of the Florida schools, maybe University of Cincinnati. But they were going to expand, and they were going to have a conference championship game, all right? So that would have pretty much locked uh, Herman right there in the Houston. Well, when that didn't happen, when that didn't happen, when 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 the uh, the greed that is in the Big Twelve decided to take over from the two major schools, then that pretty much uh, you know decided Herman's fate. Now, if you're a high school, uh, if you're a high school recruit, if you're a coach or anything, you had to be mindful of that because that was the worst kept secret of, of the college football season. Okay, once it was determined that the Big Twelve was not going to expand, there was nobody outside your most diehard Houston Cougar fan that thought he was going to stay there beyond this season. Okay, they started courting him like he was the prettiest girl in a, in, in a one-girl town full of full of horny men. I mean, everybody was after him, all right? It was just that way. He wasn't going to stick around, okay? So while I, I fully understand what we talk about here, the coach that just tells the bold-faced lie that you have no indication that they're going to go somewhere uh, you you start to get yourself together to go to that school, and then they bail on you, okay, either as a position coach or anything else. But in the, in, in the Jim Herman case, that was not the case at all, okay. Everybody knew he was gone. They knew he was gone. I knew he was gone. You knew he was gone. Your wife knew he was gone. Your mom knew he was gone. Everybody knew he was going to leave Houston this year, okay. And it was whether he was going to Huh? When Tom Herman, when Tom Herman, Tom Herman recruited I'm sorry. this young man, huh? when he recruited this young man, 
that wasn't a spill. And, and this is part of it, is part of, the, part of the reason why they didn't get voted in was because of Texas. And so who, who, who can say Texas had a sense they were already going to fire, fire Charlie Strong and knew they had a better chance at Herman by saying no to Houston getting in to the Big 12? See, that, you know, that kind of manipulation of the system is the problem. But this is my bigger question is all grass ain't green. So one of the things I used to tell, I say to people all the time, when Coach K got to Duke, Duke was not good. <laughs> like, you have a choice. You could go build something somewhere or you could build something. Like, when, 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 when Snellenberger got to Miami, Miami would have been a perennial loser. There is some value in when you're in a place like, when you're in a place like Houston where all you got to do is be content, content and build yourself to a chance to win a championship. They're going to pay you money. Like, is going to Texas better? Well, look, here's the thing, okay? And this is what we talk about up here, D, all the time. It's name recognition, okay? The thing that's killing Houston right now is the conference that they're in. All right, do they have talent? Oh, absolutely. But they're in the American Conference, mm-hmm. all right? That's what hurts Houston. That's why it was imperative that Houston go somewhere to go into one of the Power Five conferences, because you're absolutely right. There is a there is a wealth of talent in that area, in the Texas area, period, and in the Houston metropolitan area, period. But that school, when they were in the S, when they were in the old Southwest Conference, they could do some things. But now, mm-hmm. being in the, in the American Conference, there is, it's almost like a, a step above the MAC. Not to knock any conference, but that's what the, that's what it looks like, okay. And so they needed to move. That school needed to do it to improve itself, okay, in the eyes of of the playoff committee and anything else. When they when that when that deal went through for them or fell through for that for that school, then it left it open for the vultures of the big of the Power Five conferences to go now and snatch that coach. And that's what hurt that school. You know, they, they, I think they made a lot of their promises with the understanding or with the strong belief or with the firm belief that they were going to be a, 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 a Big 12 school coming 2017. That's my belief. I think that if they thought they were going to be a Big 12 school and so they could make those uh, uh, um, promises to those, to, those, to those recruits and stuff like that and that he wasn't going anywhere. And I don't think he would have went anywhere had they joined the Big 12. There would have been no need for him to. He was in a fertile recruiting uh, place, and he was in a Power 5 conference. When that happened, when that did not go through, that killed Houston, and that killed their opportunity to keep their coach. So with him going to Texas, that left the opportunity uh, for Ogeron uh, to, to get the job at LSU that he always coveted. He gets his dream job. Ed Orgeron, there is there is no one more of a match for a culture in a community than Ed Orgeron. If you hear his press conference, that is Louisiana through and through. Like I'm so happy for him because he's a down home boy who got his down home job. And he is as connected to that community as but but his introduction to what he said what happened when he got the phone call, it was funny. Um and the energy that he had, but, you know, the way he got treated at USC, you know, people felt like he wasn't sophisticated enough for the country club. But to kind of get that job, you know, I don't know what he's going to do moving forward, 
but yeah, as happy as I was for a coach in the situation, I was happy for him, man. I don't know about, you know, Les Miles had to go, but um, I'm happy for Ed Orgeron. I don't know how I'm you happy. felt about that selection. I'm happy that Ed Orgeron got opportunity. My concern is that is this opportunity going to be too big? And let me explain. Okay, Ed Orgeron, as an interim coach, did what he had to do, you know, with uh, Les Miles' staff and with a very talented roster to uh, survive the season. All right. Uh, they didn't change a whole lot. They probably opened up the offense a little bit more, those sort of things. And I think that he's very capable in doing those sort of things. It, what we, what I know is that it's a different story when you are running a full program by themselves, about by yourself. You know, uh, ask Brady Hoke, you know, who also got his dream job um, and then took over a, a large program and fell flat on his face. I caution. I, I, I don't think that would happen with Ed Orgeron because he came from a big program to another big program. I think he can handle it. I think he understands and gets it and understands what he has to do. But those are some very fickle fans now in LSU. Okay, he doesn't have a big name, uh, and um, he hasn't done it before, okay, at, at the head coaching level for a full season where he has to run and he has to uh, – um, assemble his coaching staff and all these different things, and what his philosophy is going to be. So we're going to see, and we're going. To, and and, and I, but but you're right. As far as somebody who's from the community who knows what's going on, you know, it's it's a great fit. Now, can he coach football? Because he's he's now following a coach that has won two national championships. Okay, uh, in in uh, over there, or one of that, he at least won a national championship. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and with, with Les Miles, and he was shown the door unceremoniously. Okay, I still think LSU owes him a little bit better than that, but that's another story for another day. But I, 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 I hope it works out for him. Well, you know, one of the things that um, I would say about him is 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 that ninety um, percent of the things that make it difficult to win in Louisiana, he's already going to be overcoming. Um, and he knows it. So I think part of LSU's job is, um, you know, um, getting him the kind of administrative support you're talking about. I think that'll happen. The other thing I, I wasn't aware of, um, because I thought Les Miles would probably know better given his roots at a place like Michigan or whatever, but when you hear some of the ex-players um, who um, are some of the commentators, you know, Booker McFarland, some of these folks, there wasn't a lot of LSU alums engaging in the program. And for me, I think that's always a mistake. I think that was Rich Rodriguez's mistake a little bit, is that there wasn't that, that engagement of alums, and I think that's very important part of when you come into a place that can, that can help you when you're going through tough times. I think sometimes when you come in and you're really trying to change in that direction, you sometimes do it in a way that alienates or not, doesn't engage or signal to alums that you're welcome in the space. And they said one of the things that was different was with Orzeron was he understood that and they were already back in the building, integral part of the space, um, connected. You know, everybody in the building felt a part of the program. And so I think he understands some of that stuff. Um, and, you know, definitely he's going to have to, I think he, he'll be willing to get the offense going. Uh, I think he's going to be looking to bring in a big-time coordinator to try uh, to get that going. Um, but, you know, I am happy for him. I think, Part of success is making sure 
you get the right stuff around you. And that's your AD job as well, making sure the administrative support around you is the kind of stuff you need that, that allows you to be the best kind of coach you can be. Um, and that's also the AD job to be able to do that and put those infrastructures in place in support of you as well. So that part. So then Oregon fires their coach. And now P.J. Fleck, um, you know, Les Miles is, I think, lurking a little bit around the Purdue job. So as P.J. Fleck, Oregon opens up. You know, um, that's going to be an interesting job. You got what's it, Hoverston uh, at West Virginia. You got some people who who have some styles. Uh, they're talking about Florida's coach McIlvain possibly being a candidate for that job. You might start to see some musical chairs. But it's interesting that you know Oregon did not stay with their their own that long. I mean they they normally let a coach go five years, um, and they and they didn't do that. So I don't know. If, I, how do you rate Oregon? I mean it's interesting. I mean they were built a lot, a lot under one or two coaches, but. Um, I don't know if their program is quite baked, whereas their program, you know, where Oregon is a program that uh, separate of, you know, the identity of a few of the coaches that they have, like Chip Kelly and folks like that. You know, I don't know where the Oregon job is. Where, where do you see Oregon? I see Oregon as the Pac-12 uh, version of Michigan State. Okay, I think that you, you know, they 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 came into prominence with a lot of different things. With the gimmicky offense, uh, they they started to rise as you start to see uh, the the decline of USC. Uh, as much as Michigan State started to rise, when you start to see the decline of Michigan, you start to see Stanford uh, assert itself, and so I think that's what you see with Oregon. And I think what you saw with Oregon is the same thing you saw with Michigan State. That you look at those two programs, you they are they are they are eerily similar. And that their their fall came so drastic, so, so rapidly. Now Oregon was a nine win team last year, two years removed from playing in the national championship game, and then all of a sudden in their third year they crash and burn. Okay, uh, they can't find a quarterback. Their defense is suspect. Okay, that sounds very similar to to the Michigan State story. Okay, the only difference is is that you've got a coach uh, in, in Mark Helfrich that. Um, that that uh, you know he 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 kept it going. He had a Heisman Trophy. Um, he had a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. He just he hasn't developed the next one. He brought in Vernon Adams last year. It it it's a real weird narrative that he get that, that he gets canned that quickly. There may be something else going on, or maybe Oregon feels like they're higher than what they are, or maybe they see the horizon that USC is, is coming back. That Stanford isn't going anywhere. Uh, that now you're starting to see Washington and Colorado start to rise up and start to, to take hold, okay? Uh, Utah is out there. And so they're starting to see they're going in the wrong direction. Now, can, you want to call that knee-jerk, perhaps? But, you know, when they're looking at they're looking for another Marcus Mariota that fast. And, and, it, and, and oddly enough, and, and sadly enough, it's not going to happen. The quarterback they had was only a sophomore. So, you know, again, this is big time college football right now. Okay, with the playoffs in place, D, you got to understand, you can't be sorry too long. All right, just getting a bowl bid at the end of the season is not enough anymore. When you're a school like Oregon, when you got Nike's headquarters right there in your backyard, you can't, you can't, you cannot not have a bowl bid. 
And that's what I think. I think it's more big business than it is, you know, what what, what Mark Helfrich did. I thought he did a fine job. I mean, it's, it's a shame. They're still exciting to watch and stuff. They had a down season. It happens to everybody. But, you know, now well, it's... It, and, and the thing he said, I mean, you, you said, you know, Mark, he's the one who found Marcus Mario. Chip Kelly didn't find him. He's the one right. who told him about it. So right. you know he, he knows the identified talent. And it, I think they just... I think he deserved one more season, given where the fact that he had him, like you said, nine win uh, season. He had, he pushed him to that that national championship game or or, or the whatever the BCS uh, um, um, championship series. So I mean, it, it wasn't like he forgot to coach overnight. And um, you know, I thought they would at least give him one more year, where it was like we need to get back to being competitive um, as well. So it. it it seems like it's not like, you know, Charlie Strong situation where Charlie just never was able to click it and get it together. You know, he, he's demonstrated that he's been able to do it, and he was part of, you know, you can't say, well, he did it with Tipskett, but he was part of recruiting those players. So, what, you know what I'm saying? It was like, you know, he helped to get those players. He's the one who found Mario. You know, right. uh, it wasn't Chip. So, it, 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 that one seems kind of strange. I think you're right. I think they felt the pressure of, I think, you know, I think what stunned them is the Colorado piece. I think they probably knew at some point USC had turned back. Um, you know, Washington with the coach they got who's track record at, um, Boise State would tell you that Peterson was turning around at some point. But I, th- I think they, when they start seeing Colorado and, like you said, you just saw these other teams picking up, and you, you know, you got a Gary Anderson lurking, Washington State. Um, uh, over there, uh, you know, getting better every year. You know, I think it's those schools that start to make uh, Oregon a little nervous. You, you know, it's you know some of these brand schools that I think they had a feeling is going to come back at some point. But it's when you start to see Washington State, you start to see Colorado, Utah. You know, Arizona is going to be here every day. Arizona State, you know, they they beginning to see this to be very competitive, and they want to try to figure out how to own it. Um, right. So I, I think you're you're right uh, with that. So, you know, P.J. Fleck, you know, Northern Illinois University, Pro Huskies alum, my, 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 where I got my graduate degree, so I, I got to get him some love out there. He's doing a thing at Western Michigan with the Broncos. He's someone that, you know, people are coveting. And, and if you were if you were trying to, I guess, if you were his uh, confidant, figuring out, like, what the next move is, you know, I've heard people say, hey, Houston might be the best move because, Houston will get you into one of these top three or four jobs. Um, but if but if they offer you Oregon, you know, it's not a shabby job. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a top ten job easily. Um, in, in some people's ranking a while ago, but people had that job in, like, the top six. Um, but if you were P.J. Fleck, where do you think he should settle in at? Listen, P.J. Fleck needs to be very careful what he does next, okay? Let me explain why, all right? Uh, P.J. Fleck is a very quirky coach, and, and, and in college football, that works, okay? Uh, uh, see Jim Harbaugh. But here's the thing about P.J. Fleck that, that concerns me. When he took over the Western Michigan program, okay, and Western Michigan was by no means a big-time program. Row the boat worked, although it did kind of set sideways with some of us alums, because I didn't know what that meant, and it, and, it, and it just looked like it was a distraction until they started winning. And does that play with some alumni? Okay. Now, if he goes – now, now does, does, does P.J. Fleck 
get a Oregon job? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Oregon wants a big-name coach. I think Oregon is looking for somebody like maybe what if, what if Brian Kelly decides to leave Notre Dame, you know, uh, um, uh, what a coach like that that's that's got a name that's got an offensive name that's coming from a big program that that can take those kids that they got right now maybe somebody who's got some ties to the uh, uh, Pacific Northwest or out, out west that knows how to recruit out there that's the one thing you have to concern yourself with PJ Fleck taking an Oregon job now uh, can you get him at Houston it makes a lot of sense it's it's a good fit there. You know, it's almost to me like a lateral move, considering the fact that Houston now is still in the American Conference. Uh, to me, if I'm PJ Fleck, if I'm going to take a job where I can make an Im- Im- impact, I'm going to look at Purdue because he can come in with the whole row the boat mentality. Okay, at Purdue, he can he can change that culture just like he did at Western. Okay, Western, he first came in, he was like one in eleven. He can change that culture. There'll be no pressure. All right, he can do his thing. He knows how to recruit the Midwest. All right, he's already proven he can beat Big Ten talent because he did it with Western. Okay, and he can, and and, and that's where it works in a in a Big Ten West that you know has uh yeah a, a Wisconsin. Okay, but everybody else he can make for Duke competitive. Okay, just just like yeah. Wilson did at Indiana. So. Uh, that would be where I would go if I was going to go if I was going to leave somewhere. Now you you got to be careful. You can say, well, what if he's offered the Oregon job? I don't see Oregon making a move like that because uh, they want a coach. I would think that's coming from a big time program because they're trying to win national championships. And if the row the boat thing don't work out west, it's going to it's, it's going to crush Oregon for a long time. So if you're asking me, it looks like the Purdue job would be the one I would take for P.J. Fleck. It gets him into a Power 5 school, one that he can take his time and, and build and, 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 and sell his rotorboat brand there, and they're going, to, they're going to eat it up. Everybody else, you know, you're going to have these boosters and stuff trying to tell him that's not going to play here. And you're right. I mean, and, and uh, you know, and Les Miles, I know Purdue have been looking at him, and he left Les is going to have to, you know, I think for him, he should just be really selective about where he, I think he's going to be able to win wherever he goes, but I think he needs to get to an institution. You know, like you, I think for the same reasons you said, like the Purdue. I think what Les is, you, you've, won, you've won national championships. I think your next coping job is to do exactly what I said, you know, get to a place where you can get enough wins, you, you can pull a, you know, uh a uh, 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 you know similar similar thing to what Alvarez did at Wisconsin, and get your statue. <laughs> you know, you know, do do one of those moves where, you know, you set uh, a school in a direction that is going to be good for and lay the foundation. I think come back to Miles. That's the thing I'm looking for. Get away from yeah. these programs with all the booster issues. You know, you're at a point in your career you'll need to deal with that. If they have one or two big time boosters, you know, you need to handle. That's cool, but for the most part, you know, it might be good for him to go to a school now that's kind of a basketball school that wants a football program. You know, to me, if I'm left, then he can can run into what he wants to run. You know, um, and and maybe that's that's, that's not the advice he's getting, but, you know, even if he stayed in the SEC, I would, you know, go to one of those teams that, you know, has been hungry, you know, kind of like with, uh, uh, um, uh, What's happening at Kentucky? 
you know, you know, hungry to get their team up and going. They're starting to win. They're putting eight, nine wins together, being bowl eligible. Um, I think that's. I think that's. If I'm left at this point in my career, that's what I'm looking for. But you, yeah. you never know. But well, see again, you never know because you don't know, you know, where this carousel is going to stop. You've had a lot of big name programs that's fallen flat on their face. You know, there is a situation right now that's going on at Notre Dame that we need to keep our eye on because if that if, if yeah. that Brian Kelly uh, chip falls. There may be some surprises out there. You know, there, there's been rumblings out here that Brian Kelly is looking to leave Notre Dame. So if Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame, that's going to open up a lot of different things. I'm going to throw a little, I'm going to throw a little, uh, a little uh, shade on the show right here. I can see a coach like, I can see a coach like a Mark D'Antonio going to a Notre Dame. Okay, if Notre Dame's job opens up, and why would I do that? Why would he do that? Because now he can't recruit he can't recruit Michigan no more. Okay, I've mm-hmm. said this. You know, the Big Ten East is now a monster. You had I want just Michigan State was in the playoff last year. This year they didn't make a bowl game. They only won three ball games all season. Okay, what's disturbing about that is that Penn State won ten games. Michigan won ten games. Ohio State. Won ten games. They lost to Indiana, who is now a bowl eligible team. They lost to Maryland, who is a bowl eligible team. That means now these schools and 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 what's the difference? That means that Jim Franklin at at um at Penn State has found his footing. DJ Durkin in Maryland is going to figure out his way. They've all got bowl games. Are, so where is that going to leave Michigan State in the long run? People can say, oh, they'll be back, but let's be real. Okay, they've got they're coming from a long way away because they're not playing in a bowl game and they were abysmal. So if you get a Notre Dame that's open, you've got a coach that's got the reputation of, of Mark D'Antonio. Do you try to keep trying to build a program at Michigan State that right now you have to look at it for what it is, or do you go where you've got the whole state of Indiana where you can recruit it on your own without any uh, uh, interference outside of Indiana and Purdue? That's one you might want to keep an eye on, D, and it's not that far-fetched. Now, people say, well, we'll never leave. I'll never leave. But when, when, when you start sniffing the air, you have to know when to make your move. Think about that a little bit. Yeah, and, and he's the right coach in terms of he's going to be no nonsense. He's going to uh, abide by kind of the – there's a standard and kind of a, the kind of um, uh, bland that they want to keep. I, I can see him being installed. I can also see them – being interested in Les Miles, who yes. is kind of stoic and and being in there as, as as well, and can build an SEC, you know, level defense, can recruit all over the country, um, you know. But or maybe you know Les is looking at Michigan State if he ends up at Notre Dame. So yeah, I think there's some still some dominoes to fall that we'll have to pay attention to. So that's what the coaching carousel. This is a We'll, this is RSG One Mike here with Devon and Hank. Um, uh, this is brought to you all. Our host and guests are brought to you by Cardinal Health. Uh, Cardinal Health um, uh, is the host for all our. Uh, is, the, uh, uh, is brought to you by all our uh, for our callers and our hosts. Uh, Cardinal Health is your complete solution for fitness, health, and beauty. Go to CardinalHealth.com to connect with Dr. Ernesto Rodriguez and his staff to learn more about lifestyle medicine. Tell them that the Real Sports Guys sent you. You know we love them over there. 
Uh, check out the people at Carbon World Health. All right, y'all. This is our segment we call I Think Very Deeply. We're going to go a little deeper into uh, the college football conversation. This is stuff we all have been waiting for. Um, <laughs> this might take a little bit more of our segment time we got, that we have left, but we're going to get into this. Uh, so I'm going to hit the hot topics first. So we, we, we get the Buckeyes and the Wolverines face off. And I know Hank has got a lot to say. Harbaugh talks about the referees. I know I was tweeting about it. Greenberg or ESPN was tweeting about the referees not calling PI. At the same time, Michigan fumbles on a one-yard line, throws two interceptions. But the eyeball test tells you Michigan was the better team on the field. They were being aggressive. But that I've watched him up close, that boy J.T. Barrett. And I said, you got to watch him. He's like Houdini. He always figured out a way. He did. I, I was in the house at Camp Randall, and basically they were left for dead. He still came <laughs> roaring back. And basically the two players I said you got to watch out for, I called them. I said, Samuels, and I said, J.T. Barrett. Anytime they get into crush time, those are two players. Those are the only two players who are going to touch the ball. That's basically what happened in overtime. Disappointing loss. Like my, my mother looked like she was just, she was drained. It was something. But, it, but, it, but it, there's two things you learn real quickly, how much Jim Harbaugh closed the gap in one year um, and how much fun this, we hope this, this rivalry is going to be moving forward. But, Hank, let me hear your thoughts, man. I know okay. you I'm going to sit back over in the corner while you, while you go one-on-one to the glass. Okay. Well, well, let me let me tell you. I watched this from I watched this from from start to finish. You know I did. You know I, I tried to analyze and break it down as much as I could. I am with you 100%. I will say that uh you know, Michigan, they played with a hurt quarterback. I thought they uh counted themselves very well as far as showing their dominance on their defense. Um they made three uh crucial turnovers. Okay, the turnover on the goal line didn't hurt so much because they got the ball back and they scored anyway. But the pick six kept Ohio State in the game, uh, and, and you and you can't have those kind of turnovers in a rivalry game on the road. Okay, you cannot get ultra conservative in the fourth quarter. All right, you cannot do that. You've got to keep your foot on their neck, and you've got to take a team out, especially on the road. You don't let anything get in the way of doing that. I thought they played a fabulous game on the defensive side, eight sacks on JT Barrett, and had him uncomfortable all the game all day long. Okay? That being said, I am sick and tired of hearing people say you cannot blame the referees for the outcome of a game. Okay? I am tired of hearing that. Because there are three components to every game that are part of the game, okay? Injuries are part of the game, okay? How you execute on the field X's and O's is part of the game. How a game is officiated is a part of a game. If a game is not called uh, as equitably as possible, either bad calls on both sides or good calls on both sides, that can directly impact the outcome of the game. And, though, and oh, by the way, how you can allow uh, the whole – uh, officiating staff to be boosters, if you will, 
of the Ohio State University and have these head official get fired from the Big Ten by the Big Ten. Um, uh, the, the big I'm mean, got myself all upset, D. You know who I'm talking about? The guy that runs the Big Ten, Jen Delaney, the commissioner that got fired, and then you allow him to to officiate the biggest game in your for your conference this year. To me, it's just deplorable. It's absolutely deplorable. It's horrible for that to happen, for it to be slanted in that way. Now, when, now, now, I'm gonna tell you, did did did, uh, did, did uh, Michigan get hammed? Did they get hosed? They absolutely did. Now, everybody wants to talk about the spot, all right? They want to talk about the first down spot, which is nobody, nobody north of Columbus, okay, or or east of Columbus thought that that was a first down, okay? You can see that the 15-yard line was the line again. He was knocked back before he got there, all right? There's no way you're going to sit there and tell me that that was a first down anywhere, Okay, you even have people who are not Michigan fans told you that wasn't the first down. That was a hose job. But let's get away from that one, and let's talk about the other plays. You get two penalties for six yards, okay, against Ohio State, the whole game, and in two overtimes. Yet your quarterback got sacked eight times, and there was not a holding call anyway, or there just one that wasn't called. Okay, there was a big run by J.T. Barrett in which one of the Michigan defensive linemen was absolutely uh, face masked. Okay, they've got they've got photographs of that. We won't even talk about the P.I. that they keep talking about. Three of them, in fact, that they impacted Michigan drives. All right, to the point where uh, the, the quarterback storm and, and, and on a big play down the field, there was a penalty called against Michigan, which you can always call to be questionable. Which all of a sudden, the next play, he throws an interception. All right, but I don't want to get all into that. I want to say this. Michigan acquitted itself. They showed themselves to be the best team in the Big Ten in that game. Why are they ranked number five right now? It's because the the committee and everybody else not wearing scarlet and gray saw what we all saw, okay, that if that game was officiated even remotely close to, to even Michigan wins that game, they probably win that game in regulation. I'm not taking nothing away from what happened. We had a we got a hurt quarterback. Michigan had a hurt quarterback, and Michigan made three turnovers. Okay, Ohio State made two if you count the um, they, they made two if you if you count the the, the botched uh, fake punt and the interception and the two missed field goals. So when you think about that, the game was really pretty much played evenly because Ohio State made plays, bad plays. They had questionable calls by the by the coaching staff, just like Michigan did. So it came down to one component in the game that was left, and that was officiating. And that component changed the outcome of that game, okay? Jim Harbaugh already had the check written before his press conference. He knew he was going to get fined. He already had it written down. He said, how much is it going to be? Because I'm going to get this off my chest. I'm not going to take the the, uh, politically correct role and say, oh, we did this and we did that. No. There was, this outcome was chiefly affected, okay? It's one of those games, and the Big Ten should be ashamed of themselves to allow such a slanted, officiated uh, crew in the biggest game of the year, okay? This is an opportunity to showcase your two best teams, and now because of this, you got two teams playing in the Big Ten championship, and, and, and congratulations to Wisconsin, taking nothing away from Wisconsin, taking nothing away from Penn State. They have fabulous, se- fabulous seasons, but they're not the best teams in the Big Ten. And they're going to rep- represent the Big Ten as the Big Ten champions because of this. And it's an embarrassment. Now, 
poetic justice could probably still be served, and both of these teams could probably find their way back into the playoff. But that does not absolve what happened on Saturday. What happened on Saturday was you had a bunch of, of homers take take advantage of that homerness, or what you want to call it. They take took sole advantage of that. And that's not the way you want your games to be played. As a casual fan, you want to be able to see who's the best. You don't need to give anybody no handicaps. This ain't bowling. This ain't golf. It's football. Let it be decided on the field. If it's a penalty, call it. Okay? And, and, and it should not come down to this is what we're talking about on a Wednesday night. You should talk about the X's and O's and the injuries that impacted the game, which is what the committee needs to be looking at for the rest of these teams. So, I don't, you know, everybody wants to talk about how it was beneath Michigan that Jim Harbaugh said something about the officials. I say bull bleep. I say bull bleep. How many games have we seen over the course of the last couple of years that the officiating crews in these games just have just just butchered the efforts of these fine young players, these, these, these gladiators on Saturday? It shouldn't come down to that. If they don't know what they're doing, get them off the field. You're going to get somebody hurt. You know, so that so I, I say that I'm glad that the rivalry is back. I'm glad we got two young coaches that's got the passion for it, and you're going to see the the ten year war again, Bowen Woody too. That's what, as a college football fan, as an average college football fan, you want to see that. You absolutely want to see that. So yeah, uh, you're right. Wow. D, I had a lot to say about this. I had a lot to say about it. I don't think Michigan played their best game. I think Ohio State had something to do with that. I don't think Ohio State played their best game. I think Michigan had a lot to do with that. But when it's all said and done, when it got down to it, the colors everybody's talking about wasn't maize and blue, and it wasn't scarlet and gray. It was black and white. (laughs) This may equal Game Changers rant about D12. My goodness, this is a classic. Side it up. I'm about to pull this one out. I'm about to push it out on its own. Hank is just burned down the studio. I don't have nothing to say about this. He just officially shut it down. <laughs> he went back and did research on the background of the referees as being boosted. I mean, he, if this was a quality, if this was a, a summation, this was this was some this was a some if it doesn't fit must have quit level stuff. I I you have made your case and they are guilty. My goodness, I had nothing else to say. I can't you know, there's nothing else to put out on this one other than this just this put it to bed. I, I agree with that. And the one thing I will say is the the thing if I'm a Buckeye fan you should be most worried about is every one of Michigan's defensive players made all all big ten uh recognition at some level. That's right. But offensively they they play well but they don't have the kind of explosive players you're about to see. So if I'm if I'm Buckeye fan, the one thing I probably worry about is that and you gotta know his quarterback play is only gonna get better. His team's quarterback play is only gonna get better. Yeah. And I always said that the key to beating Alabama and some of these great teams is this elite quarterback play. And these receivers, and Tim Brown said this about four or five years ago. People say, well, you know, they're talking about the SEC dominance and all this stuff. And he said, he said what, what's, hap- what's got to happen, he's talking about, I think it was in Notre Dame, was in the championship game. And I had been saying this, and, and people were 
you know, saying I was talking Jonathan, now we're going to see what's happening in the Big Ten is when we get the coaching back up in the Big Ten elite in terms of the way in which these players play. And the other thing is that when the Big Ten, the Big Ten wasn't getting the kind of elite quarterback play that it had in the past. And that's what, and I always tell people, you know, the SEC always had talent. They always had talent. What they what they benefited from is these coaches like Urban Meyer, who they learn how to get a coaching in the Midwest. Uh, you know, Les Miles. You know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Saban. All these cats were trained in, in in the way in which they coached that great talent allowed them. But the offensive play in the SEC got better. You know, they always have been great uh, talent-wise and defense have been great, but the offense can never mind. And Big Ten teams used to beat them because they had elite quarterback play. And what's going to happen is, you know, Harbaugh, he already has uh, uh, McCaffrey signed, who's one of the right. quarterbacks in the country coming from Colorado. And McCaffrey's shooting all, as many receivers as he can to come with him. So that talent is only going to get better. And the fact he closed the gap this quick was amazing. In that defense, Boy, is wasn't messing around. They was moving people around and and, and pushing. Them. And uh, in my mind, it's only gonna get better. So this is a great rivalry. I'm glad he's back. Uh, Hank Hank destroyed it. He left he left he left nothing but carcass for me on the floor. <laughs> he left carcass on the floor for me uh, to look at this. One of the things that we've been talking a little about is as we as we get closer to you know this championship series is. You know, who's for real and who's a fraud? When we think about some of the top teams, who, who do you see? In, in, before we talk about the top six, but uh, I'm going to combine actually two questions. Um, who's for real, who's a fraud? And from about 7 to 12 in the rankings, who do you think has a chance to get into that top four? So I think that's what we're going to try and discuss a little bit. So who's for real, who's a fraud? But then also add in who we think, who's lurking outside of things fall, who can who can make it into the into the into the uh, in that top group, you know, if they don't, if it's not Michigan or Ohio State, if they're going with conference champions, and we don't know how they're evaluating some of this stuff. So let me start out with this, since you you already going to torn it down. I think you do so hot, I go back to you. There might not be any mic left. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna take what I can. I can. I'm gonna eat my piece of meat now and let you have a rest. Um, so who's for real and who's a fraud? Well, let me start with uh, the team that I think uh, are the frauds but who are coming up in this conversation. So there's a lot of people who are raising this conversation about Oklahoma being, you know, and really this argument against two Big Ten teams who didn't win a conference championship. And then, um, you know, people are being, you know, Big 12 is like, what about Oklahoma? And this is the problem I have with Oklahoma. Let's not just talk about let's not everybody's talked about their loss. Let's talk about their win. So if you look at the the, the, the wins that they had. So the, the most recent win they had over West Virginia was nine and two. Then Baylor, who's five and six. Uh, Iowa State, who's three and nine. Um, Kansas, who's one and eight, and one and eight in conference, two and ten overall. Texas Tech who's three and six in conference, five and seven overall. That's their last one, two, three, four, five victories. 
So, what, what, you know, and I've watched Oklahoma. There's nothing about their defense that championship. Like, they're basically one side of the ball. Plus, on top of that, they lost to Ohio State and they lost to Houston. And Houston lost a few games down the stretch. So, for me, you know, if, if Oklahoma wins the Big 12, you know, and I, you know, I already told you, you know, you, you know, Coach Stoops is, you know, um, I can't trust him. But loved him, man, early on. Loved him early on. It's hard for me to say that. But, you know, I can't trust him. But, you know, therefore, who's for real? Uh, the team that's for real is surprising to me. Um, I, I think Michigan's for real Ohio State. I, I still, you know how I feel about Ohio State, but I don't want to say them by far because people think I'm just being biased, so I'm going to leave it alone. But for real, um, beyond Alabama, Clemson, I think, is still out here. But a team that's kind of on the outside looking in that's for real is Colorado. I mean, we had a chance to watch them the big out, and, you know, their quarterback got hurt, but they, they, they were not playing. And every time I watch them uh, on both sides of the ball, the way they play, um, uh, you know, they're going to be playing this championship game. Um, you know, I think Colorado's got something. And I, I think uh, with all the criticism, I think Washington's for real. Um, even though I can make some of the criticism about there, I, you know, I think I have a lot of faith in Peterson. I think Peterson's put together a really strong team. Uh, but those two teams, I think, are for real. Are they more for real to me than Michigan? But I think they're built with substance. Um, there's not a lot of smoke and mirrors with both those teams. Um, Colorado has a great defensive front. Um, you know, they, they, can, they can do a lot. Um, they play up front on both sides of the ball. Physical. I mean, they, they came into Big House and, you know, gave, some, gave as much as they got um, uh, as well. And, and they've just been, you know, uh, a, a, a solid team um, that I think is – and I think, I think I would say, you know, even though there's questions about Washington, I think they're built right on both sides of the ball. It's teams that I think have legitimate chance. Everybody's talking about USC. I think USC has gotten better, but three losses – for me, you know, sometimes you just got to pay for that. Um, but uh, I think Washington and um, uh, uh, Colorado are for real teams. I watch them play. They play. They play with a lot of substance. Um, Penn State is interesting. So I think they are for real um, for me. But um, in, in Wisconsin, you and I said about Wisconsin up front. Wisconsin's for real. But we didn't think they were going to make it to the government. And if there's a, if, if between Peterson, maybe a Washington, Paul Christian got to be a candidate for coach of the year. Because when we started looking at that season, I think you and I are minds. You know, I'm close to the folks. I'm close to folks there. I'm at Wisconsin. You know, we I would say three, four losses. I mean, it probably was a couple of losses just from the residual coming out of those tough that tough stretch. And they only got two losses, and two of those losses were very close against two top teams, uh, Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, so I, Wisconsin is for real. Uh, that defense is not playing. Um, they don't have a lot of offense. They run the ball again. But if I was talking about two teams, I know that's for real. I would say Colorado, Washington, I think they are for real. They're not getting a lot of love the way they should, but I, I think they are. Uh, they are for real, and I think – there are two of the teams in that, from that 7 to 12 range. You know, if they win the championship, depending on how things go. I mean, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Don't think Clemson is just going to beat Virginia Tech. 
your year. GSX one of them schools, man, that always come with some crazy win. And right now, people aren't giving them any shot. And don't. And Clemson, you know, Deshaun Watson is great. You know, I think he should get more love for high control. But he hasn't had a great season. They haven't looked. They won games. They, they won games with a chin, chin, chin. And Virginia Tech is a program that is a, a good for big upsets. <laughs> good for that. And, and uh, I mean, Alabama's a lot. But if Clemson loses in their championship game, I don't think they're a lot. If Clemson loses, I think Michigan gets in and Ohio State gets in. But Clemson and Washington loses, then I think it's open. And I think that's a possibility. You heard that right now. You heard it here. So, market, don't say you heard from anybody else. I've been watching this closely, and I watch Clemson. I love everything they do. But they they are shaky. They're like a great boxer who got a suspect chance. And they up against a cat who throw a good left hook. And don't win a lot of style points, but seem to win a big fight every once in a while. I think, and I think Virginia Tech, that kind of school that is, don't see themselves as underdogs. They see themselves as a top program. So that's kind of how I'm looking at those things. Hank, I'll give it to you. Okay, I, you know, I want to go back to your to your Colorado, I, and, I, and I and I do believe Colorado is very real. I saw Colorado uh, early in the year, and they looked impressive. You know, before they played Michigan. Now, one thing people don't understand about Colorado is they they have to say they're very similar to Michigan in this way. They're one of the oldest teams uh, out there, okay? They get, they're loaded with senior talent, fifth-year senior talent on both sides of the ball, especially across the front, okay? So uh, they're a very experienced team. If there's anything you want to concern yourself with Washington, it's the fact of, you know, where does that experience lie in a championship game? But I, I, I agree. I think both of those teams are very real. The fraud for me is Ohio State. I still think Ohio State being a young team and the fact that they had the big games at home uh, snuck by Wisconsin, but Wisconsin simply does not have any offense. If they can run against you, they can beat you. But if you slow that running game down, then they're going to have problems. And that's what happened in their loss to Michigan. That's what happened in their loss to Ohio State. They simply could not run the football. The quarterback is not capable of, of, of just stretching the field down the field. And that's a concern going into the Big Ten Championship. Now, you talked about Coach of the Year, D. You know, I and, and yes, Paul Chris has a remarkable season given the season, the, the schedule that Wisconsin had, as, as well as Peterson with uh, Washington. But if you don't think James Franklin deserves Coach of the Year, this man was one more loss from losing his job, much less, you know, uh, getting into the Big Ten Championship game. Okay, they was ready to hang him. They already was hanging him in effigy, if you will, after the Pittsburgh game. All right, they just felt like he was the wrong man for the for the job. And now look at what he's done. The fact of what you've seen with Trace McSorley and if Saquon Barkley played for any other team outside of Penn State University, he would be a Heisman candidate. This kid is remarkable. He is a remarkable running back. He's a running back of the year at the Big Ten, and he is fun to watch. And he's given every team he's played against fits. Okay, you can't say that about anybody else. You can say that about, you know, even even when we talk about Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson has had flaws, 
He's been a turnover machine this year, even in the games that they've won against Louisville and Florida State. You know, he's been susceptible to the big turnover, okay? If, if, if Virginia Tech puts any pressure on him, any sort of defense, that game could be real sketchy down the stretch. I, I agree with you there, okay? I think the Big Ten championship game is going to be worth a watch because, you know, there people are not sold on Penn State. Penn State has probably has been playing some of the best football the second half of the season. They're blowing the doors off the teams. They're not even close, okay? And so, you know, after the, after the Ohio State win, they have they have steamrolled teams. They've not been close. They, you know, saved the uh, Indiana game, and then they took care of them down the stretch, okay? So that's worth a watch. Now, you know, we talk about the playoffs. I, I, I'm just one. I'm convinced that if the, if the committee can get two Big Ten teams in, they're going to. Okay, they're going to. They're going to do all they can to get two Big Ten teams in. That means that somebody's got to lose. Okay, and so uh, we talk about Clemson and Virginia Tech, and you're right. A lot of people are putting a lot of uh, eggs in the Clemson basket. That one you have to watch because Deshaun Watson can turn that game over for you. The fun game that's going to be able to watch is going to be um, the Washington-Colorado game. You also mentioned Oklahoma, so I want to get to the Big 12 because no one's mentioning them. And you got Bethlehem that's going to be played this week too. And no one's mentioned Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, you know, has got a couple of losses as well. All right, but the Central Michigan loss, it, it, it just seems like people say, well, that shouldn't have been a loss because, again, the referees don't know what the hell they're doing and they, and they, they allowed another play to be done and Central Michigan ends up winning that game. But then if that doesn't happen, then you've got a one-loss Oklahoma State team going against Oklahoma. And what if they win that game? And now they're the Big 12 champions. Okay, no one's talking about that team all of a sudden jumping up and raising some hell. Okay, if you look at, if you look at their total body of work. The problem with the Big 12 is nobody plays defense. Okay, you, you, you got records, records being set on scoring and passing every week. Okay. Because you, you, you let you let a quarterback like Pat Mahomes, who is a good uh, quarterback from uh, from Texas Tech, you know, score 700 yards of passing, okay, on Oklahoma. That is not a championship caliber defense. I just fully believe that when you're looking at us football this year, you're looking at who who was the best to be able to compete against Alabama. Alabama has been heads and shoulders of everybody else. Who can compete against them? When you look at the defenses that's left, okay, there's one defense out there that you really could say could probably give them fits, and that's Michigan. That's Michigan's, okay. Washington can score. Clemson can score. But the one team you know that could probably shut down their offense is probably Michigan. So in order for Michigan to get there, you're going to need some upsets, in my opinion. You, either you're going to have Virginia Tech have to is going to have to take out um, or Clemson, or you're going to have to have Colorado take out Washington. So if you ask me what I think is going to happen, um, I'm going to tell you. Uh, I'm looking for I'm looking for an upset. I'm looking for a big upset. I'm hoping it happens. You know, I'm hoping that we see that uh, Michigan or you know, is able to get it done. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what's up. Yeah, and I mean, when I sit there and think about it, when I look at the Big Ten, you you only have four teams that weren't. I know you. I know you said what's going on. For those of y'all who don't know, that's the Colorado fight song. 
me. I gotta always carry something for you. And if you about it, so look, look at the difference. In the Big Ten, there's only four teams that won't that are not bowl eligible out of all those teams. When you look at the pack, when you look at the uh, Big Twelve, they half the conference is just about half the conference is not going to be bowl eligible. And you really only got three teams with nine wins or more mm-hmm. in there, and one team with seven wins. So when you look at, like you said, when you look at strength of the, even their conference schedule, the bottom of the Big 12 is is really weak. I think that's what would what, what cost them. Now, the Pac-12, the Pac to me, is a different conference. I think – if you're talking about the biggest threat to Big Ten getting two teams in, you know, it's uh, it's going to be the Pac-12. Um, because especially with the resurgence of USC, but you got right. Utah, when you start thinking about some of those teams, um, uh, you know, Stanford had a down season, but they still 9-3 overall. So when you look at that, when you look at the quality of that conference, when you look at whoever wins the Big the Big 12 championship, you know, there, there's some real possibilities. Now, how far Colorado could actually jump, you know, they're in a tough position right now. You know, it's going to be tough to jump over Michigan after Michigan beat them, but if you're placing a value on the conference champion um, and then they beat Washington, who's in the top four, um, then there's, there's a case there. I think it's easy. I think it's a it's easier. It's, it's more likely in my mind of someone like a Colorado jumping in there over, I can't uh, over, see over for all reasons. There's nothing there that looks like a championship. I can't, I like can't see Colorado jumping to Michigan. I, I cannot see when you look at that if, if Michigan they, if, a if seventeen point championship. If they're honoring, if they're going to honor a conference champion um, and have one at large bid, so they're only going to leave room for one at large bid. They're going to give that to Ohio State. And the other thing, you know what? I disagree, I disagree with you right here because what the a committee said yesterday was it was razor thin between Washington and uh, Michigan. Razor thin, very close. Michigan almost got into the top four. So that means that they don't put a whole lot of stock in the Colorado. Now, Colorado, well, what hurts Colorado is their strength of schedule, okay, that their two toughest teams that's on their schedule they lost to, okay. They lost to SC. They lost to Michigan, all right? You can make a case for Washington State, uh, but can you really, okay? You can make a case for Utah, but can you really, all right? So if they beat Washington, the one knock they got on Washington is their uh, strength of schedule. It's very, very, very weak, all right? And the one tough team that they played, they lost to, all right? So if you so the, the, the common opponent here is Utah. Well, Utah's got four losses, and one of those, and I think four losses or five losses, and one of those losses was against Oregon, all right? So if you're looking at that analytically, and just because these are the only two teams left that happen to win their division and they're playing for a conference championship, do you reward that? Because when you look at it, when you truly look at it, okay, you look at a Michigan who's got three top ten wins against three top ten teams, 
Their two losses are against ranked opponents, one being the number two team in the nation on the road. Both of their losses were on the road. Okay? We're almost you almost got a college basketball analogy here, okay, on how you set this up. So just because they beat each other, you beat one team whose strength of schedule is not very strong, and the other team who beat a team who now if you go to Colorado, okay, you beat the number four team in the conference championship, is that enough to leapfrog a Michigan team who has three top ten wins? And we'll have yes, a win over and we'll have a win over the Big Ten champion, whoever it is, because they beat both of those teams. That's going to be a hard yeah, resume. Yeah, if, if, let's say they do what Ohio State did to Wisconsin a few years ago and beat them pretty good in, in, the, in, the, in the conference championship. The eyeball championship. Yeah, they, they, they beat Washington. Let's say they beat Washington the way they beat Arizona, 49-24. They beat them like that, then – that's what will change the conversation. So that would change. You know, that would that would change know. the climate. You're absolutely right. But then you ask yeah. yourself, so, okay, if you look at the best teams, the way here, the easiest way for this to happen, Clemson wins, Washington. I mean, um, uh, Washington wins. We, we don't have a, we don't have we don't have a debate. I don't think we have a debate. But if it's an overtime victory or something for Colorado. Uh, or or anything that happens crazy in, in the Clemson game, and Clemson gets up to you got three Big Ten teams in. If both of those teams lose, you got three Big Ten teams in. I have no doubt in my mind. I think two conferences well, are going to get shut out. If, 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 if Washington wins, let's say Washington and um, and Clemson um, lose, then I think you're going to have um, you get Michigan in and Colorado. In. You think you Colorado win over Wisconsin? Uh, I think you know what you might be right. You might be right. I I, I think you, you you make a valid point there. You make a valid point there. I just I would just I, I, I would just have a hard time. How can you keep Wisconsin out though? I mean, how can you keep them out if they win the Big Ten? I mean that that to me. Huh? Yeah, I just I just don't think that I think what they'll do. Is you know, they set Michigan up to make it in if Washington loses, but if Washington and Clemson will lose, will lose. They know very well Michigan's not going to get in. I don't and think Michigan, I don't think the Big Ten gets over Michigan. I don't. I just I think that yeah. it's Michigan is the next team in at the Big Ten. I don't. I, I don't. I, I just think that the Big Ten championship this year is a consolation prize. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's sad because, you know, I love to see Wisconsin and Fall Creek get in. I just think. And Penn State makes it even more interesting because I think they're strong down the stretch and that blowout loss to Michigan really hurts them. Versus yeah. Wisconsin's losses were awful close, um, battling, and they were doing it with a redshirt freshman. Right. You know, so the real difference was, you know, the redshirt freshman. And so, you, you know, there's a case for Wisconsin. I just don't think if they bring with they put Wisconsin in, then they're probably not gonna have Michigan in. They're gonna go with the whole conference championship thing and, and ride that one out. But I but you know, I think there's a chance for both those teams, Washington and Clemson, to lose, more so than people think. And I could just be wrong, but I just think Virginia Tech 
they kind of left out there. Nobody's talking about them, and that's just when they win an upset. Like, Frank Beamer used to win those kind of games all the time. I don't know if they can do it now, but it just seemed like Frank Beamer's teams will always win these kind of games where everybody's just overlooking them, and they would block, they would do something, they would do that kind of Beamer ball, and next thing you know, they're, they're running out of here. Uh, and Clemson, to me, feels vulnerable, even though they're highly talented. You know, they just seem vulnerable in this spot. I don't think they got enough going for them to lose and still get in. Now, anybody who's in the right. top four right now, Clemson, Washington, they, they, they're they in must-win situations because yeah. they're, they're, the, 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 I believe the committee is poised to move them out, to move Michigan in. I really do think that they want to see I, – I, I'm just one that that's, agrees with the narrative that that it would be just great theater on a New Year's Eve night to watch Nick Saban go against Jim Harbaugh. Okay, and if you don't think that they haven't thought about that, okay, that possibility, as well as Michigan played against Ohio State, uh, they want to see that. I, I, I just believe that there's powers that be that want to see that, you know. So what they need to do is take those referees that, that did the Michigan-Ohio State game, take them out to San Francisco, let them ref that game with, with, uh, with, uh, for, for Buffalo, for, for uh, Colorado, and then let's just make this happen. <laughs> and that's all we need to hear, y'all. Eric has been on fire. This is one mic. We are back in the studio. We are back in business. Hey, man, as always, it's good to do it. All y'all out always. there, thank you for uh, listening to this, man. And, hey, man, you have a, a, a blessed time. Until we do it again, brother. Hey, until next time, boss, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you again. All right, y'all. Peace, everybody.